This is episode number 48 of Poolside Podcast, and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. Today, I am sharing the interview I had with Asia, who is the owner and founder of Drizzle Honey. And if you live in Calgary, you will have definitely seen or tried her honey. If you go to Rosso, they have a sweet latte that is made with the honey and you can buy it in so many stores and they have expanded across Canada. So if you are listening across Canada as well, um, you can find Drizzle in a store near you. If you check the website, you can find out where to find her. She shares how she took her side hustle bee project at Sate and turned it into a full business. She talks about the pivotal moment of the business when she found out she was actually allergic to bees in 2017 and had to reshape and reorganize her supply chain, which at the end of the day was a blessing in disguise because it allowed her to focus on growing the brand and business rather than spending all of her time with the bees. Asia talks about the evolution of Drizzle and what the experience was like when she first had her products in a retailer. She has expanded across Canada and Asia shares the challenge of getting into retailers and what it really takes to expand. It's not just emails and it's not easy. It really takes the dedication and pounding the pavement to expand, especially across the country. We talk about how having Arlene Dickinson backing her now at District Ventures has really changed the trajectory of the business and she's learned so much more from starting with Arlene and having that support and those resources to really be able to grow her business. We talk about why supporting local is so important and the impact it can have on the people running the small businesses and of course the city and country itself rather than the big corporations such as Coke or something like that where the money isn't really reaching the people that are doing the work. She gives her advice on starting a business and everything that she has learned along the way. So I hope you get something out of this interview. I loved it. I love Drizzle products. I love Asia. So with that, let's get into it. And here is Asia. so crazy because I remember when we first met when you had like your pop-up in Holt Renfrew I think that was the first yes. time and that was probably like was that the very beginning like three years ago maybe that or? was like 2017 probably or like 2016 oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know when that was yeah that's crazy and now you're everywhere which yeah is awesome. and not in Holt Renfrew <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe eventually yeah. <laughs> um Let's start before Drizzle. So what did you initially want to be when you grew up? Oh, nothing to do with honey. <laughs> nothing to do with bees. I wanted to be an orthodontist, actually, which is so lame. Um, because 
to be when I grow up to order room service because they just refuse to get it. And my dad was like, you're going to have to be an orthodontist. So then I was like, all right, I'm going to be an orthodontist. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you would have made a lot of money. I, yeah, and I would have been saying a teeth all day. I mean, yeah, nothing wrong with that, but it's uh, far, far from what I'm doing right now. Yeah, um, and how did you get interested in honey? So, um, my degree is in environmental science, and I did the whole oil and gas gig when I first graduated, mostly out of like that whole, this is what you should do when you live in Calgary, and also availability of jobs, and yeah, um, yeah, just seemed like a good opportunity at the time, so was doing environmental consulting for oil and gas through a little firm, a few different firms. did that for about two, three years, realized it was sucking my soul out of me and that it wasn't creative and it wasn't what I was meant to be doing. So I resigned from that job and then I got a position at Saint, which is the college here in Calgary, and they have an applied research and development services department, which is um, basically short version of that is they do research, applied research for industry partners. So my role there was working with entrepreneurs and people trying to do research and innovation on agriculture or green building and helping them get grants, helping them do the research and um, bringing their product to market. And I ended up getting a really amazing grant for a rooftop beekeeping project with um, Calgary District Beekeepers Association. And it was way too fun to be work. I just, all the other projects were not that fun and not that kind of um, creative as this one. And it uh, allowed us to put some rooftop hives on the John Ware building on campus, which was four floors up or four stories up, and um, get culinary students involved in that and allowed me to learn about the honey industry and beekeeping. And that's how I got started, which I think was your question. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Where this all came from, yeah. And just noticed a a big gap in the market. Um, There's a lot of really bad squeeze for honey out there, really bad branding in the honey industry. It's a lot of older farm families that aren't in touch with the millennial city consumers and kind of what's driving brand and attraction from millennials to products. And um, also nothing super creative happening with honey. So I wanted to, one of our collections is our superfood honey collection, which is the first of its kind in Canada. So just just doing new things with the honey products. Right. And where did the idea for Drizzle come from then? Was it just like in the process of being part of this project that you (coughs) decided to launch it? Or how did you decide that you should make the honey yourself and then sell it? Well, okay, so this is part of my story too, is that (laughs) I had started doing all the beekeeping myself when I first started and then I got allergic to bees in 2017 or 2016. It was right when I quit Sate to start Drizzle. So yeah, it kind of was a side hustle when I worked at Sate. And then I did, Market Collective was the first place I ever sold the product and it was just off some um, hives that I had set up and realized 
there is potential behind that. And then, um, so yeah, got some traction behind it and then got allergic to bees shortly after, realized I had to change my entire supply chain. And then that's when I started working with a whole bunch of different beekeeping partners to actually get the product moving. And that was a total blessing in disguise because it allowed me to stop playing with bees all day and <laughs> focus on doing what I was good at, which was building a brand. Right. Yeah. And where did you find like the beekeeping community? Like, did you just know people through like your work before? Yeah. You reach out to? Yeah. So it was through the research I was doing at SATE. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't have a business degree. So how did you learn like the business side of it once you got out of like the beekeeping part of it? Yeah, that was the biggest, probably the biggest hurdle of all was that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I knew that I really loved honey and I really wanted to do something about um, the situation of the bees and wanted to do something more creative, but I didn't have the business background. Um, I had taken a small business course uh, through Olds College, and but it was more on greenhouse development. It was part of the research that I was doing before, so it wasn't specific to the business of products. Um, so honestly, I read a lot of blogs. I read a ton of books. I networked. I tried to get mentors. And I just tried to fill that knowledge gap as best as I could. Yeah, I mean, obviously it worked out. Yeah, it is good. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced at the beginning of the business, besides being allergic to bees, which I'm sure <laughs> was the first one? Yeah, that was the biggest. Again, it's that like lack of knowledge, because um, I. I did not have a fear of doing it, which I think people are, that's usually a question I always get asked was, you know, how did you get over the fear of trying to do it? And I, I didn't have that for some reason, I don't know why. I just was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this and I don't care if I don't have a business background. Um, but yeah, so it was, once it really came to getting a product to market, I realized I knew nothing about that. So that was a huge hurdle for me. Yeah. Um, and I think my network too, because I had a really strong network in green building and agriculture, but not a strong one in business owners and entrepreneurs. So I had to get to know that community in Calgary pretty quickly. Right. Um, and did were you working full time still at this, or yes. had you switched over? I. I had run with Drizzle, I think, of like just under a year before I switched over to full-time. Okay, and when, what was that transition like? Like, how did you know that you were ready to quit your full-time job? Because I could no longer concentrate at my regular job. And all of my time in the evenings was going towards Drizzle, and I was trying to do things on my breaks and lunch break, and... I just was not there. I was doing a very poor job at both jobs. Right. And I didn't want um, that to be my reputation in either of those companies. And so I, when I left SATA, I left on a really good foot, I think. And they said if I ever wanted to come back, that would be okay. And yeah, so I, I feel like I left at a good time when I wasn't too distracted and that I would be able to put 
um, my best foot forward into to drizzle full time. Right. Yeah. Um, and was that like, did you have fear a little bit of it not working out? I know you said you didn't have it like just going into it, but even when you quit your job, did you ever like have that thought that you're like, what if this doesn't work? Yeah, I did for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question because it was like I was fearless in a way, but also I had like little day to day fears of just, well, I don't know how to do this. How am I going to overcome that? And yeah, what if this doesn't go as I think it's going to? Um, I felt like the overall vision was there and that I wasn't fearful about that, about achieving those goals, but it was little things along the way, I think, which ended up being the hardest. Yeah. And where was the first place that Drizzle was sold? Besides like your own like Mary Collective and stuff, but like what was that like when it was in the first store? Yeah, so it's actually a store in Vancouver Island, believe it or not. Oh, crazy. Not even in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, what was the name of it? I'm not gonna remember. I remember the lady's name was Deja though. Yeah. Because my name's right. Asia. We like <laughs> joked so much about it when I first yeah. But she had seen my Instagram and was like, whenever you're ready to sell, I want to bring your product in right away. And so she, yeah, that was my first shipment out. And then my second one was just Greater Goods, which is now closed down in Calgary, but uh, a really supportive um, business that, yeah, brought in local made and artisan made products. And so, yeah, it was those two. And it was pretty incredible. It was also nice to have uh, a little bit of money coming in from it. Mm-hmm. And just to see that first, like, I knew I had a product that was. Uh, properly made and I had all my approvals in place which took you know 14 months or so for me to get through that which is why I haven't left Satan is because I was working it took about 14 months and then still I had left Satan it still took another like five or six months before I actually was able to launch the product so there was a lot of back-end work so yeah just finally being able to see it on the shop was uh, so much work that yeah. went into it. <laughs> but that's awesome though and then like you said then you know that someone else is just as excited about it as you are. Yes. You know, so that you don't have to stand there all day, like at Market Collective, and yeah. to be able to sell Yeah, it. you are no longer selling it. It's someone else is selling it for you, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and how do you navigate getting into retailers? Because now you've expanded across Canada. So what mm-hmm. was that like process like? I don't think people realize how hard it is to get into retailers. And I literally created spreadsheets and I compiled lists of like every store in Canada I wanted to be in which at the beginning was all really like boutique kind of hipster stores as that was kind of what I was (laughs) so I was essentially trying to sell to myself and where I like to shop for products so looked across Canada at those shops and then just like pounded the pavement and relentlessly followed up and phone them and sent sell sheets and product photos and um, messaged them on Instagram and I just did not give up. I think a lot of small business owners with products don't realize that's what you have to do if you want to expand. It's not just, oh, if someone emails you, you have to really, really, it's, I think, Someone at a business course I was in showed the conversion from like 
when someone purchases a product to when it's like, or when they think about it to when it's actually sold, and they think it's like three to eight follow-ups are required before you close the sale. Right. And again, without having that background, I didn't really realize that, but then I knew if I wanted to make this work, I was going to have to be relentless about it. Right. Well, yeah, and then like you said, like I feel like consumers who don't have a product don't realize that because we see them all on the shelves and you're like, oh, they must have just showed up here and like seems easy. No, <laughs> not at all. It's yeah. not. And even like coming from you who's like a very specific <clears throat> brand and even the ones in Calgary, like I'm sure no one sold honey before. So you'd think that it'd be like, you need honey. Like I'm the only one. It's going to be fine. Yeah. But it still takes like that extra push to get it in there. Yeah, for sure it does. And... Uh, you now have like a team working for you, um, besides your like distribution team and everything, but your actual like business team. Um, when did you decide you needed to hire somebody? Well, I was lucky because I was able to get a grant for my first hire. So being an agriculture product, um, but also just being a Canadian product, there's a lot of grants out there I think people don't realize they can tap into, as long as they're doing something new. So that's what the Canadian government supports, is like a new product or like a new innovation. And um, students, as long as it's a, someone under 30, it's quite easy to get grants. So for me, it was out of necessity for uh, social media. That was the first thing I wanted to offload. Um, I, as strong as our social media is, I, I don't like doing it. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> which is so bad because I know people just love it. but. Um, it's not where I shine or it's not where I want to put my energy I find it it's so much energy to do it because I overthink what to write and what to say and um, what to post about so that was the first thing I wanted to offload so that I'd be allowed to uh, work more on what I was good at um, and so yeah I got a grant so it was those two things of where's the best time or where's the best place to spend my energy and could I make more money if I was doing something else? And for social media, yes, you need it there. But if I was making, let's say I spent two hours a day on social media versus two hours a day following up with retailers, for sure, those two hours of retailer follow-up was going to grow the business more. Right. So it was just that. Is it's economics, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a... A very like realistic perspective because I feel like lots of business owners struggle with like even the delegation of that part being able to like let go of some of the control but you were so like you're like just do it yeah take it from me so did you not have did you have some of those thoughts of like now somebody else is a part of the business um do you have any like anxiety about that for sure yeah because no one's ever going to do it as well as you can or the way that you would do it right which is really tough when you're as, I'm not going to say I'm controlling, <laughs> but I like things a certain way and I think I have a vision of what they should look like. So yeah, definitely, but what I've learned from having employees, both at Dresselin and past jobs, is that you will often be really pleasantly surprised right. if you just let people, you know, just do their thing. because. Everybody wants to do a good job, and everyone wants to bring creative things to the table, and if you let them, they will. Right. So, and whether it's what your exact vision of it was, 
uh, it can always be tweaked and you can always like guide and bring it to the correct spot, but oftentimes you'll be pleasantly surprised, especially in um, social media and marketing. It's, I love it, but it often it's not, again, where um, my background training is in, so I'm always really surprised what comes of really great and creative ideas that come from other people. Right, and then also just bringing in another like brain, because I feel like when you're in it all the time, that sometimes your ideas can just like stop, but you need someone else to come in with like new ideas from like the outside. For sure, yeah. Um, and you did mention this at the beginning in your little intro, um, but you're now part of District Ventures with Arlene Dickinson. And so how did that change the company and how you ran it and just the overall like trajectory of it? Mm. Yeah, when I got into District Ventures, I didn't know what a distributor was or what a broker was, which I know that's not gonna mean much to people listening to this, but uh, it's really important for a food-based business. And again, didn't know like the basic business stuff. Like I've worked on some like margin calculations and things and done projections, but yeah, there are some really key pieces of information missing. So District Ventures allowed me to put those pieces together and make a plan of action that would cater towards how the industry worked, which I wouldn't have been able to do because I just simply didn't know how it worked. Right. Yeah. And then I was at District Ventures for about a year and a half when Arlene's group approached me, and, which was a huge thrill. It was so exciting because there's... Had, at that time, there were about 60 businesses that went through, and I think she only approached four or something. And that's awesome. Four to six of us to make investments into. And when that closed, which was just May of last year, we started talks like September. By the time the whole thing closed, it was months later, lots of stress later, lots of negotiation <laughs> later, um, in May. And that really was a huge game changer because then I realized there was someone backing Drizzle that had some real power and just that someone like that believes in your product too that's like seen so many businesses and done so many investments being on the Dragon's Den like how many hundreds and hundreds of businesses she'd seen pitch and yeah I realized that I really had something if someone like that wanted to invest in so yeah, just gave me more confidence and also a really great intro when I was talking to large companies like Sobeys and Safeways or maybe one day Bulk Bar and I'll definitely <laughs> drop her name because uh, people love to hear that. It's just that social proof that you've got the backing. Right. No, yeah. that's awesome. Um, and what are some of the most important lessons you've learned about running a business and starting Drizzle? Oh. <laughs> Everything will take twice as long as you think it will, or three times as long. <laughs> Everything will cost twice as much, or three times as much. And something I really didn't listen to, everyone told me this, that it was going to take three to five years to turn a profit, to start paying yourself, to just like have a business that worked and was viable, and I didn't believe anyone. Again, it was that, like, I had 
no fear. I just, I don't know why, I just didn't want to listen to it. And that's completely true for everyone. <laughs> like every business, even in this space, is it's totally true. So yeah, expect you need to put in five really hard years, three to five really, really hard, gritty, grinding, tenacious years. <laughs> um, yeah, I think those were those were pretty big lessons for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're especially in the space now with so many local businesses, even just in this office. Um, but why is supporting local so important to you and to the bees? Because now mm. we're supporting local bees as well. Yeah, this is a good question. So local is important for so many reasons. So from giving money back to local farmers. So if you buy a product like Drizzle, you're supporting my team. You're supporting teams of beekeepers and farmers who I think are such an important part of Canadian economy and just kind of who we are as a country. Um, you're also supporting retailers that often are small because they work with a lot of other small retailers and small businesses. And through that, your money is not just going straight to well, let's say you, you're like buying, I don't know, Coca-Cola or something instead. That money, you, it's not going to those small businesses and those small farms, right? It's paying a giant CEO who doesn't even live in Canada and who doesn't need that money. It's just giving them more and more money so they can buy a fourth uh, vacation property. <laughs> Whereas something like this, it's, it's way more meaningful, way more impactful. Um, also buying local is important for environmental reasons. So uh, you're often, it's less of a footprint because like tracking, it's not going as far. Uh, if it's done in Canada, there's really strict environmental regulations on farming practices. Um, so you're probably doing a bit better, especially with, with yourself, because we're really careful on sustainability side of things and if hives aren't pesticides and that they're getting enough nutrients for the bees. Um, yeah, and most importantly, I think you're just making someone do a little happy dance behind the scenes. Yeah, no, yeah. that's awesome. Um, and just on the bees for a second, since you're yeah, of course. Where are they located? Like, how does the whole system work? So we partner with uh, many beekeepers, and we have sustainability checklist that includes like where the hives are placed. So there, we don't want honey that's on monocrop, which is um, something like canola, let's say, because it's not, uh, this is getting really like science. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not a, a wide floral variety. So bees need lots of nutrients. Like, it, let's say they're on canola, it would be like them just eating one bread, and that was it, because it just blooms once per, per season. Whereas if we put the hives on something like wildflower, they're getting huge floral diversity throughout the season. Um, which is really good, makes them stronger, and then there's a lot of disease and pests and things that they're combating, so it just gives them the ability to combat that when they're healthy. Um, and then also when you're on things like pasture, you're away from pesticides, so um, they don't have to deal with being sprayed by pesticides or being exposed. Right. So and that's our, our main model, is just making sure that sustainability checklist is there. Um, 
and making sure that they're Canadian beekeepers, of course, and that there's no fake honey, because there's huge, huge issues with fake honey being brought onto the market. Right. Um, so ours is 100% Canadian, never mixed or adulterated, and then it adheres to our sustainability checklist. Right. I think it's important, like you said, it's like all nerdy, but I feel like people don't even think about their honey or what they're eating, you just go to the grocery store and you buy it. And so I think it's important to, obviously, you know, to bring education to For what's sure. being produced and how the bees yeah. are being treated. Yeah, um, absolutely. It wasn't in the list of questions, but no, it just occurred to me um, about the different products that you have. Do you want to talk about like the different honeys and like, yeah. like the light? Because I know I vaguely remember you explaining when I first met you that like the spring is different than the fall honey. And yeah. All that. Yeah. So we started off with two different honeys. That was it. Really simple when I first started. We have a light one and a dark one. Um, I used to have them called spring and summer, and then we got in trouble for calling them that from the government. <laughs> so now we have to call them white and golden honeys. But it's just when they're harvested, it changes the color and the flavor. So other companies would be blending those two together, whereas we think it's beautiful to just showcase that it's different harvests and that it's different flowers and that there's going to be different tastes and colors. I just think that's so beautiful. And also it's not pasteurized, so it's not, um, it's just showing off like the different pollen and color right. because we don't heat or filter that out. Um, then we have the honeycomb, which was, yeah, added on slightly, short, shortly after those two, uh, which is just a really beautiful round honeycomb that's great for charcuterie plates. Uh, if you want to be really fancy when you have people over, put that on on the dish and people just think you're super classy. And then um, our s products that came out was the Superfood Honey Collection that was launched in May. And we're so excited about that because it's three honeys that were all nutritionist and chef developed. They include um, turmeric gold, cacao lux, and ginger shine. And each one not only has a superfood base, so for example, ginger shine has, it's obviously ginger as a superfood, but then we've added in a whole bunch of really functional ingredients too. So it's got um, elderflower, lemon verbena, and chamomile in the organic ginger. So it's like a really beautiful immunity blend and it tastes amazing because it was all chef developed. And similarly, the other superfood blends are just as um, effective in what they do and delicious in how they taste mm -hmm. and what else have we got yeah we're working on some more superfood blends we're working on some little taster trios just like a sample set and yeah so new products are coming cool that's so exciting well yeah. because they're so different I feel like you can have them all you know yes. and they can change it up depending on what you're going for and how do you, what's your favorite way to consume your honey? I know you're drinking tea right now with the honey in, but. Uh, with a spoon. I know it's so bad. <laughs> actually though. Yeah, actually when you were talking about the honeycomb, cause I had one of those and I was like, I was like, I just ate it. I was like, yeah. is that part of your list of yeah. ways to use it? Yeah, for sure. Like honestly, most people just say they like keep it in the cupboard when they want like a little treat. Right. Just like the peanut butter method. Totally. You know? <laughs> I know, like half of the thing of peanut butter is you should just eat with a spoon. Oh, like, let's be honest. Totally. Yeah. When you don't even want to put it on your toast because then you get crumbs in it for the next yeah. time you don't eat it. <laughs> so true. Oh, but yeah, I, I really do use the honey in like, lots of ways. Besides that, um, it goes in my morning coffee. 
coffee. I dip fruit in it like I was just doing that yesterday. Um, vinaigrettes, I do a lot with honey. Um, tea and toast, of course, that's so obvious. Our blog has so many recipes. We're really big on to like changing how the world uses honey. That's our new motto. We just came up with that in January. Yeah. It's our vision statement is changing how the world uses honey. So we really want to get people like trying it out in different ways and with the different flavors we have, just being creative in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And did you, so when I was on the website, is there a cookbook? Is that like an actual cookbook or is it more of like an online resource? Yeah, that's an actual okay. book from, yeah, we did that. One of my summer students actually made that. And yeah. She did such a great job a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, so some of those recipes are up on the blog now too. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, we'll switch a little bit from the honey sure. to you. Um, how do you manage a work-life balance running a business? Well, I didn't at all the first couple years. I don't think, I don't know if I should say this. People make it mad. But I don't think you can expect to have a work-life work -life balance at the beginning. Like just, yeah, I didn't. And I don't know anybody that really did, if they're really grinding it out. Um, now, things are kind of running smoothly, which I'll cross my fingers and stay <laughs> like that. And I've got staff now too, so that really, really helps. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for me, it's just making sure I'm taking breaks all the time, as much as I can, giving myself those. Because for a few years, I didn't, and I was burning out. and. Uh, I think it's what I needed to do, and I'm glad that I did, but it's not long-term sustainable after a few years. Yeah, you just yeah. can't do it. I was really lucky um, to not have kids when I first started out. Um, I think any mom who can do a startup business is extremely amazing, just incredible that they can do that. Um, so I was lucky I didn't have double commitments there. Um, and yeah, so just, I guess now I'm making sure to take breaks. I exercise way more than I used to. Um, I'm meditating and yeah, just eating healthy. Pretty simple, yeah. making sure I'm socializing and I'm getting back and doing more networking events and um, that's really fun. Going to stuff like Babes Who Brunch, yes. <laughs> Ace Class and going to the uh, RISE conference this weekend and yeah. Yeah, no, that's just getting back out there. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you have to remind yourself to do it because any someone who runs a business, you get like focused and you just like keep going basically until you burn out. So you have to like schedule those things in to do them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you did touch upon this a little bit as we've mm -hmm. talked, but um, for people that have like a side hustle or a passion that want to turn it into a business, what are some of the like first steps? Should they take and what advice would you give them? Mm. Make sure it's viable before you make the leap. So it starts with a really good idea and then test your market. So don't just quit your job and then do market collective or something like that. Do market collective and then quit your job, right? So test the market, make sure you're getting Customers, so this let's say it's not even a product based business. You could start, let's say you do fitness, you could start doing little fitness classes um, in someone else's gym. And or for me with product, 
it was testing the market, doing events. Um, I did like Mardi Gras Festival and Market Collective and I think Little Modern Market, if they had started up. Yeah, they had started up at the same time. So just seeing if people were interested, if you had customers coming back, if you had customers engaging on social media, and then most importantly, did you have people asking, where can I get this next time? Like, what stores is this in? So, because I want to buy it. Um, or if you're like, let's say doing a service-based business, like when is your gym gonna open? Or how can I get a pass? Or, right? So, yeah, make sure before you make that leap that you're not leaping too soon and that you have that traction first. Right. Yeah. That would be my first piece of advice. Yeah. A <laughs> um, couple more questions. Is there a podcast or book that you would recommend to listeners Ooh. that made a difference or that you're reading your listeners? Uh, yeah, so I got the courage to quit my full-time job because I read You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, I think is how you say it. I'm not sure how to say it, but I do know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought that was just like such a great book. She's I love the way she writes. She's so funny and just really inspiring. Yeah. Um, and then one book I read about a year ago that really, maybe a year and a half ago, was Grit. Um, Angela, someone wrote that one. Really good. It's just about sticking it out and... Yeah, everyone needs to read that book. I did not realize how important of a piece staying with something and not giving up on it was. I just thought people just got things because they were lucky or they just, like, some people were just... They just... I don't know. You know, you you see some people and you're just like, oh, I can never do that because they just... They're just lucky or, like, their parents or, like, they came from money or... Right, or they know the right people. Or they know the right people, yeah. Yeah. Or they, like, came up with the right idea at the right time. And simply looking at it through, like, the way that this book is written is it's, no, like, you stuck with it and you did not stop. Right. And uh, I didn't realize I had to do that. So... Yeah, and I feel like, like you said, a lot of people don't realize that that's what goes on behind the scenes. You just see it like the end product, the yeah. successful product, like in stores or whatever. Totally. Yeah. 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 Like so it. yeah, those two, I think. I also just read um, 10% Happier by Dan. See, I don't know people's last names. I know there was Dan Harris or something. Uh, that's a really cool one about meditation. Okay. Yeah. And he's an excellent writer too. I've read a lot of like fluffy sort of new age spiritual books, but this is like super educated guy, so well written and it really just nails into some of the questions that I had around meditation. And yeah. I love stuff obviously from a science background when people can back it up with stats and right. yeah. Did you start meditating before or after you read the book? Um before. Before. Yeah. Yeah. I always have. Yeah. I don't meditate, so I was like, maybe if I read this book, it'll solidify you yeah. can it. <laughs> yes. Definitely try it. Um, and what is next for Drizzle? I know you mentioned more superfood mm-hmm. products. Is there anything else you want to get people excited about? Oh, yeah, I think it's just more um, product innovation. We're working on something really exciting for January 2020, which is like a new, I can't say that much, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just a new way of 
using it. That's as much as changing the way people use honey. Yeah, that's what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Sticking with our mission of changing the way the world uses honey. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be in that realm. That's all I can say. And yeah, just I just love new products. I think it's so fun. Yeah. That's where I think I I shine the most is just coming up with cool new things and new ways for people to use the product and get excited about it. Cool. Yeah. Um, and where can people connect with you and Drizzle online? Uh, drizzle underscore honey and on Instagram and Twitter and we're on Pinterest and we're on Facebook <laughs> Drizzle Honey Products I think and uh, you can always email our general email line at info at drizzlehoney.com and that'll be shot over to whoever you need on the team. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me and educating us all on honey and bees. You're welcome. Very pleasure to be here.